The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Presenting Season 9, Avalanche. Keep Your Distance, Part 1. Written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin. Leaving Zack was one of the hardest things that John had ever had to do. The teen had so many questions, and John wished he had all of the answers. He answered when he could, and was silent instead of lying when the truth in some of the questions was too hard to bear. Zack alternated among curious, relieved, angry, and scared. John and Sarah could both feel the waves of emotion rolling off of the boy, crashing into them and through them. Sarah was doing her best to comfort him. John hoped it would be enough to keep him from spiraling down into a dark place that he knew of all too well. He's going through everything I went through when I got out of the program. But he's so damned young. As much as John wanted to stay and help the young man navigate through the small hell he was going through, he couldn't. They needed to keep Zack safe, but there was still a war to fight in the meantime. Hopefully, they would win, and then they could bring him back to Atlanta or wherever he wanted to go. If they didn't win, he was the world's last chance and was infinitely precious for that reason. So, John hid him in the best place that he knew of. After a very lengthy discussion, John, Sarah, and Vicky had decided that they wouldn't use any Echo safe houses. For one, Many of them were occupied off and on by medicine scientists. They were working nearly around the clock in echo labs and offices around the world, though most of them were located in the USA. Keeping them in one particular place was an invitation for them to be attacked, so moving them, and their research data, constantly was a priority. As such, all of the safe houses were in use at one time or another. Having one reserved without a real damned good excuse would arouse... suspicion... While the trio could have gone up the chain of command with Zack, it was better for operational security if they kept the secret between themselves. With Echo locations out, same with any of the locations that Vicky knew through her parents, they needed to come up with an alternative. Luckily, John had one ready. It seemed like forever ago when he had first been on the run. Six years. So much had changed with him and the world, and at times he hardly believed that the past had actually happened, at least the way he remembered it. Those first days after he had escaped the program had been chaotic. He hadn't been able to trust anyone, and he had felt hunted wherever he went. One close call in a bus station had been enough for him. He had gone off the grid completely as much as he could. Still, back when he had been a Delta operator, he had set aside some... insurance in case something ever happened. The special operations community and the intelligence world were inextricably linked. John had seen and heard of too many guys like him being left to twist in the wind when some intel weenie had screwed up. He had determined that he would never end up as a cautionary tale. So, he had prepared to disappear early on. A chunk of money, some weapons, and a full set of papers that he had sort of blackmailed a CIA spook into setting up for him enough to start over somewhere, if he needed to. 
Once he had calmed down enough, he had used most of the money to buy a chunk of land out in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming, a small plot with its back to a state forest. It made for a nice backyard, and quiet, too. He had spent most of a sweltering hot summer building a cabin and stocking it. Situated at the edge of a small valley, he had privacy and a stream for water. The cabin and the land were his bolt hole, a place to run when he had nowhere else to go. It had served him well in those early days on the run. He had had a lot of things to deal with. Grief over what he had lost, guilt over what he had done, and how to reconcile all of it with what he had become. No longer a soldier. A criminal. A fugitive. And also a metahuman. There had been a lot of time spent trying to get his new gifts under control, harnessing his heightened senses without being overwhelmed, keeping his new strength and reflexes in check, and controlling his ability to produce and manipulate fire. The last had proved the hardest to master. It had always been a matter of maintaining concentration and stopping himself from completely letting go. He hoped that Zack's time here would help him as much as it had helped John. They didn't fly in. Even for John and Sarah, it would have been a long haul, never mind while carrying another person. Instead, they opted to use a car that John had procured before they had gone to rescue Zack. With the war on, and many destruction corridors still scarring cities despite reconstruction efforts, there were plenty of abandoned cars. A set of fake plates and magic papers from Vicky turned it into a completely forgettable vehicle. Just another beat-to-hell plain white delivery van on the roads. A van was necessary. Sarah's wings took up space, and Zack's green skin and blue-green hair drew attention. Both of them had to ride in the back. So, John drove taking back roads and staying away from anything that even resembled a traffic camera or license plate reader. Vicky plotted their route, and when they couldn't avoid a situation where they might be recorded, she did her finger-waggling and futzed with whatever system might catch them. The entire trip took about a week. John drove through the night on several occasions, his enhancements, enough caffeine to kill a mule, and frequent telepathic boosts from Sarah helping to keep him alert. Whenever that got to be too much, they would find somewhere to camp, away from prying eyes. Food was prepackaged and easy to heat up. No need to carry fuel or a stove with two fire chuckers on hand. Sarah was getting very good at boiling water, cooking hot dogs, and even grilling steak, literally by hand. Zack's appetite certainly hadn't been affected by what he had gone through. John ate a lot due to his metabolism being so high combined with how much work he did, but Zack was a walking disposal. A crate of gamma bars kept him from grumbling in between meals. Vicky arranged anonymous pickups of supplies from several camping stores along the way, prepaid and needing only a name to be handed over. John handled the public stuff, while Sarah and Zack stayed in the van, out of sight. When the trio finally arrived at John's cabin, it was just after nine in the morning. The air was cool and dry, with all of the usual natural morning sounds filling it. It was one of the few places anymore where you didn't hear anything mechanical. They were too far out for highway noises, and planes flying overhead were too high for more than faint jet noise. John peeled himself out of the cheap imitation leather driver's seat of the van, stretching and groaning. He heard more pops and cracks than he thought was possible as his joints and muscles stretched out. Where are we? Zack asked, 
climbing out of the van, which was now packed with supplies. Somewhere safe, kiddo. You won't have to worry about being found out here. This is a place that I set up, years ago, after I got out of the program. No one but us knows it even exists. Vicky had implanted Zack with the standard Overwatch 2 setup before they left Atlanta. He had been wary, but it was the only foolproof way to make sure he was safe and for him to get into contact with her. Since it was all going through her magic circuits and wasn't on any sort of broadcast or wired link, no one could use it to backtrace him or eavesdrop. It also solved the problem of entertaining and educating a bored teenager with no wilderness experience, no internet, no cable, no broadcast TV, and damned near no broadcast radio. Anything he wanted could be piped right into his ears and onto his HUD. And anything he physically needed, Vicky could arrange to be delivered to the door by the absolutely incurious contact she had in Laramie. Tim Wrangle, one of Vic's hacker associates with a habit of cooking up complicated plots in lieu of much simpler solutions, was used to delivering to people out in the middle of nowhere who didn't want to answer the door. As long as he got paid, he didn't care what happened to the boxes he dropped off. I don't want to stay here. I want to go back with you two. I'm going to lose my mind out here alone. Zack paced around, looking at the property. The cabin itself was a simple affair. A single room divided up into kitchen, with wood-fired stove, den with couch, and a collection of sun-faded books and magazines, bathtub, and a simple, albeit comfortable, bed. They went outside to continue the tour. The outhouse was slightly down the hill and off to the left. There was a large woodshed, stocked with several cords of seasoned wood, and an attached tool shed, which, coincidentally, housed John's secret cache of weapons in a compartment beneath the floor. What seemed to have most of Zack's attention were the large rocks and boulders scattered behind the cabin. All of them were scorched and blackened. Some bore deep gouges, were half-melted, or had holes burned through them. Melted rock was strewn about, little pools of used-to-be lava, now hardened and looking like ponds in a range of gargantuan mountains. What happened here, anyways? Zack turned back to the couple, shaking his head. John snapped his fingers, and his right hand became sheathed in flame. Practice makes perfect. Took a long time for me to get it all down this small instead of starting a forest fire. Nice thing about this place? No neighbors to come around asking questions about all the strange noise and lights. For a moment, the teen looked impressed, but his expression quickly faded. I'm not stupid, or young enough to whine about how unfair things are, but I still don't like this. John could feel the pleading desperation that Zack was experiencing. He knew it well enough himself. The boy wanted someone to talk to, someone to help him work through what he had gone through, what he had done to survive, and the people that he had lost. He tried to look sympathetic. You won't have to deal with it alone, kiddo. Remember what Vicky told you. You ever need to talk to someone, you've got to line through the Overwatch system to her. Or me and Sarah. I know it feels as if you will be isolated, Zachary, Sarah said softly. But think how much danger you would be in if you were not. 
and think how much danger you could put the others in if you were found. Even if you do not know where they are now, you know their names and their powers, and that alone could be used to find them. He opened his mouth as if to say something, then thought better of it. Finally, he sighed. I know you're right. I don't want you to be, but I know you are. He kicked at the ground, chewing on his lip before he looked up at John and Sarah again. How long do I have to be out here, communing with nature and all of that crap? John shrugged. That, we don't know. Hopefully not for too long. But there's no way to tell. Whenever the war ends or gets to the point where we're not fighting for basic survival, one way or another, things are coming to a head. And there's no way I can come with you guys? Help with the fighting? Actually do something? There was no doubt in John's mind that the kid was absolutely sincere and honest in his request. He felt it, and presumably so did Sarah. But every time he and Sarah had delved into the futures, it had been clear. They were needed elsewhere, and Zack was needed here. Before, John had figured that anywhere secure would do, but now that they had reached his old safe house slash cabin, he was certain that Zack needed to be here specifically. He couldn't put it to words why, but he felt it in his bones. It was Sarah who answered Zack. We do not know if we will succeed, Zachary. But if we fail, if we fall, you are the last hope against the Thulians. This much we know for certain. And we searched long and hard for you, and went through much to find you and bring you to safety. She glanced soberly over at John. In so doing... We have probably exposed John to his old enemies, those who are behind the program we brought you out of. But that is the price we were willing to pay. You're that important, kiddo. And we can't risk losing you. Once this thing is over, everything will be better. But we can't do what we need to do unless we know that you're safe. They spent another hour showing Zack around, most of that was focused on going over a map of the area, routes of escape, other supplies that John had scattered around the valley and beyond it. John had really done his best to set this bolt hole up. When he was younger, thinking about spies and being on the run, disguises and fake identities had all been fun to think about. When it had become a reality for him, he took everything up a notch, leaving as little to chance as he could. Now Zack really was impressed. Even if he was forced from the cabin, for some reason, any direction he went he would be able to find enough supplies to see him through as he escaped. But the best option for you is to hide, here or in the forest, then come back when you are certain whoever came here is gone, Sarah pointed out. It's not like you lose calm if you run from the cabin, Vicky pointed out. I can reach you and probably even find you bolt holes not even Johnny knows about. Earth magician, remember? If there's a cave or even a hole under some roots, I can find it. Or she can make something for you that no one will ever find. She's good like that. Oh, that and her extensive tea collection is why we keep her around. Should be a moot point, though. 
Vic is going to have stuff monitoring the area all the time, so it's unlikely anyone is going to sneak up on you. Wish I had that sort of setup when I first came here. Oh, snap. Thanks for reminding me, Johnny. Eyes in the air, please, so I can fly them out and plant them. Roger that. John opened a pouch on his utility belt, picking out a handful of marble-sized spheres. These were smaller versions of Vicky's spy eyes. Just a motion sensor, a heat sensor, and a camera. He chucked them in the air, where they hovered over his head in a ring for a moment. Then, one by one, they shot off. They were small enough that within moments they were out of sight. That's magic, right? Technology fueled by magic. I'm the only person I know that can do that. I'm flying them by magic, but I'm planting them in treetops with a good view. Sticking with pines, that way there's no chance that they'll lose the cover. Once they're planted, they'll only come on if the motion or heat sensor triggers, or I hit them up remotely. They've got nice little Echo Tech Last Forever rechargeable batteries in them, and the entire surface is solar cell. I'll test them periodically, and if one goes down, I'll ship you a replacement. True wonder filled Zack's eyes as he looked off in the distance, where the magic eyes had flown off. John couldn't help but smile. He was still a kid, after all. Even with all of the hell that Zack had seen, the world still held mystery and magic for him. Not just in the literal sense, since, well, magic appeared to be real, but that very real potential and possibility that magic represented. Sarah went back inside the cabin. John sensed that she did not want to leave just yet. Communing with nature, darling? he asked lightly. Communing with the man you were came the somewhat surprising reply. I know you now. I did not know you then. I was very, very different back then. Not as open. I had to reinvent myself. A lot of that happened here, and it was finished when I came to Atlanta. Everything here you had to choose carefully. Some is obvious. Some is not. Why a bath instead of a shower? Surely the tub was harder to transport than some pipe and a shower head. Easier to just get the water into the tub and heat it up with my fires. I've never been a great plumber, and a stand-in shower was outside of my range back then. She wandered around the cabin, poking through his old belongings and perusing them. Old books, a lot of them philosophy or poetry. She smiled as she caressed one very well-worn copy of a Dylan Thomas collection. There were also periodicals, Soldier of Fortune, Security Industry and Counterintelligence Quarterly Reports, Standard Guns and Ammo-type rags. There were a few stacks of research papers, early stuff that seemed to be along the same line of thought as his enhancements, though nowhere near as advanced, and a short series of romance novels? She picked one up. The author was Victoria Nage. There was a long sigh in her earpiece. You must have been one of the 29 people that bought my Love Among the Metas series, J.M. There was a bargain bin, and I had a lot of time on my hands. Well, I will give you points for the fact that every one of the seven books involved metas with firepowers, and I did do my research. Strangely enough, it helped me out. A bit. But Sarah's attention had moved on. She peered at the walls and then, startled, at the floor. 
Why are there holes here? she asked. They are not bullet holes, and surely they let in drafts. They used to be covered with something. Explosives. There's a lot of interesting things you can cook up when you have time on your hands and have read a bit of chemistry. But why? she asked, bewildered. Zack was outside at that moment, but John still kept his voice low. I wasn't going to go back, no matter what. If I couldn't get away, I was determined to take as many of the murdering bastards with me as I could. She blinked slowly, her habit when she was thinking, then nodded. Yes, I can see that. The more you removed from the system, the fewer there would be to take others. Like Zack. A small, useless gesture, probably. But if that's what it came to, and that's all that I had left, then I was going to go out with a bang, one way or another. Hey, Zack, Vicky said in all their ears. Go hit the van and find the crate marked Stir Crazy. Then she said in John's ear only, I'm keeping him distracted. There was a moment, and then she went on. Yeah, that's the one. That's for when the remote entertainment isn't entertaining you anymore. I'm guessing those goons never once gave you the chance to fool around with anything that wasn't on their approved checklist. So when you are bored, go to the crate and open one of the boxes. They're all unmarked, so whatever's in there will be a surprise. I won't swear it will be something you like or want, but it will be something you never got a chance to try. Like what? Zack asked cautiously. Well, like there's a couple of musical instruments in there, and you can read all the instruction books and watch vids via your HUD. There was a single forty-five ACP round sitting by itself on a shelf. Sarah picked it up and turned it over and over in her hands for a moment. Then she looked at John, long and meaningfully. I do not believe that Zack will need this, either, she said, holding it. He opted to respond through their connection. No, he won't. When I was rebuilding, recreating who I was here, there came a point when I didn't want to go on. It felt like there had been too much. Too much loss. Too much pain with only more to come. I got low. After a spell of feeling sorry for myself and staring at that goddamned bullet, I got pissed off. Figured that the biggest middle finger I could give to the program was to survive, even if it hurt. Little did I know what was in store for my dumbass. But it's all been working out so far, darling. He moved closer, pulling her into an embrace. She put the bullet into his hand and cupped her own over it. Shall we put an end to that episode, then? she asked. In answer, he flared the fire in his hand, and she did the same. The bullet did not so much melt or explode as vaporize. The fire was hot enough to light up the entire room, despite only being the size of a baseball. The ashes quickly flew away on the currents of air that rushed to feed the mini-conflagration. Just as quickly as it had begun, it was over. We gotta get back to Atlanta. We're skating enough as is, though I'm pretty sure we can keep the commissar from throwing too much crockery at us. They walked through the door of the cabin, 
Zack was on the porch waiting for them. Some light show. He shifted uncomfortably, then tried to pass it off as he looked down at the ground and leaned against the porch railing. It's time for you two to go, isn't it? You won't be alone in the conventional sense, Zachary, Sarah said softly. Okay. He glanced up at them. John didn't need his new senses to tell that the kid was scared and wanted them to stay. They were some of the first people that had actually been nice to him, that didn't want to use him, that had actually tried to help him. It was going to be hard on all of them for the couple to leave Zack there. John thought a moment, then walked to the van. He dug around in his personal backpack for a few moments, retrieving a small brown object. I wasn't lying to you when I said that I know what you're going through, Zack. Here, he said, handing the object to the teen. It was his leather-bound journal, the one he had started after he went on the run. I wrote in it just about every day after I got out of the program. It might help. Hell, if you get lost in the woods or something, you could probably use it to start a fire. John grinned lopsidedly with the last bit, clapping his hand over Zack's right shoulder. It'll be okay. Zack looked down at the journal for a moment, then raised his eyes to meet John's. Thank you. He turned to Sarah, nodding his head. Both of you, for everything. I know I can be a pain in the ass, but I mean it. We'll see you soon. Stay safe, comrade. Leave the van. I'll fake up a driver's license for the kid. I'll arrange a faster pickup you two can fly to. We're moving a couple of Midas eggheads to Laramie. You can ride on the empty back. Besides... You two never got a shot at riding in one of the saucers. The couple embraced Zack a final time, then finally walked down a light footpath, away from the bolt hole and Zack. Jean spared a single glance over his shoulder at what had once been his home, then continued on. Past is the past, and we've still got a lot of work to do moving forward. It had been a week since the couple had left Zack in Wyoming. Vicky had kept them apprised with regular status updates, in between barreling everywhere they could reach to help repel Thulian attacks. They had even managed to share a couple of video calls with him. He was a tough kid. It had taken him a couple of days, but he had already adjusted to his new circumstances with surprising ease. The younger like that, John had thought. No matter what, he'll make it. Even with that one worry taken care of, there were a dozen more waiting for John and Sarah back in Atlanta. The Thulian attacks had continued to increase in frequency. Their absence, however necessary, had an impact. And it had been noticed. The commissar was ready and waiting for them when they returned, and she was looking for blood damn near. There wasn't any thrown crockery, but she made it abundantly clear that she was a hair's breadth from considering their time away as a desertion in time of war. She demanded an explanation. Commissar, Sarah said, her face as serious as she could manage to make it. We have a secret last-ditch plan. There was something that we personally needed to do to make sure that it was in place and would take up the fight if we all failed. Stalingrad, if you will. It was something only John and I could do. Oh! 
Well, then, it's being quite all right. Secret missions without approval of your superior officers is just what was being needed, Nyet. Now John could see and feel her anger beginning to boil over. They had to act fast, or this would get a lot more complicated than it already was. Nat, uh, Commissar, John had said. It was a contingency that had to be put into place, and the fewer people that know about it, the safer it'll be. We don't know what might happen tomorrow, or the next day, and so on. A secret is safer when there aren't as many bodies involved, figuratively and literally. Vicky is the only other one that knows the full picture, and it'll stay that way. Operational security. He paused. If everything goes to hell and you're still living, Vicky's put the details in your contingency folder. Same for Bella. This is a no-shit-we-lost-everything fallback. Fact, if it comes to that, me and Sarah will probably be toast before you need to open that folder. That caused Natalia to pause for a beat. She swung her head from John to Sarah and back again, then sat down in her chair, her shoulders sagging with fatigue as she rubbed her temples. If daughter of Rasputin is being involved, that a fine. It's being only time two firebombs under my command run off without nickel turn a word, however. Our efforts against the fascista have been increasing, and we cannot spare a single tovarish. We are needing twenty of you two, as is case. They had barely enough time to unpack their bags before they were thrown back into the fight. The rest of the CCCP hadn't been sitting idly. Untermensch, Soviet Bear, and Mamona had been busy with patrolling and assisting military and police forces in repelling Thulian attacks. Untermensch had undertaken a direct action mission, with commissarial approval, all on his own, which had helped to temporarily cripple Thulian operations in the area. It seems, the old Russian had said, that the fascista do not do so well when someone detonates heavy explosives in one of their command and control modules on the beachhead. Good to know, Niet. John and Sarah had newly returned to Atlanta from a mission of their own when a new wrinkle appeared. They had been fighting on the Georgia coast, preventing a literal Thulean beachhead from taking root. The battle had lasted two full and very long days, seeing the couple fighting alongside regular military units yet again. It occurred to John that a lot of the fighting, now that things were starting to move towards all-out worldwide war, was beginning to very closely resemble descriptions of the fighting in World War II, when metahumans first started to appear. The most disconcerting aspect was that there were more Thulean metahumans added to the mix. So far, there hadn't been any more sightings of Valkyria or Ubermensch, but the sheer numbers of the new ones made up for it. Most weren't particularly powerful, or had any exotic powers, it seemed, but there were a lot of them. John had seen in one threat report that current projections, based upon the numbers that the Thulians had been fielding to date and the metahuman losses incurred during and after the invasion, stated that the Thulians might very well have more metas than the rest of the world, which was pretty goddamned worrying in John's estimation. He only hoped that the Thulians were just throwing all of their metas into the ring in one big push, and that this wasn't the first of many waves to come. These and other thoughts were keeping John and Sarah distracted enough on their walk home. 
they had landed at base, debriefed, and then been released on a 24-hour leave that was almost immediately retracted and cut in half. There was just too much going on out there, and everyone that could pull the trigger or had powers was in demand. Still, the chance for a hot shower, something to eat that didn't come out of an MRE pouch, and a few hours of sleep was more than John and Sarah could have hoped for. I think there is something we must try, said Sarah, as the two of them walked, rather than flew, towards John's squat. They were bone-tired, having flown to, during, and from the two-day battle. Building a time machine? Trying a magic spell that'll let us sleep for twelve hours and feel like it was a week? I'm all ears, darling. Something like the latter. Before, I was seldom weary because the infinite provided. I think we must attempt to connect to the infinite while resting, rather than only when in battle. I do not think we will be denied the strength we need. John thought for a moment, then shrugged before putting his arm around his wife's hip. Your department, darling. I'll give it a shot if you think it's worth trying. John was so out of it that he almost missed the signs of what they were heading towards. A shadow on a rooftop. The scuffle of a boot against concrete. The couple talking on the street corner that were trying a little too hard to keep their body language neutral. It clicked for John all at once that he and Sarah were walking into a trap of some sort. He had become reliant on his shared battle sense with Sarah to warn him of danger, that, combined with how exhausted the two of them were, had kept him nearly oblivious to his surroundings beyond the obvious and mundane details. Getting sloppy, old man. But there was that, too. They were obviously being watched by unfriendly eyes, but they weren't in any immediate danger. He stretched out his telepathy to the couple, and the men on the roof. All of them were wary, but there wasn't any malicious intent there. Sarah hadn't noticed any of it. She didn't have his enhanced senses or his counter-surveillance and urban survival training. Not wanting to tip off the surveillance that he was onto them, John kept silent, only speaking to Sarah through their connection. Darling, we're being followed. I've spotted at least three... Make that four, five, people along our route that are paying extra attention to us. All of them are armed. Don't look around, it'll just give us away. If we got a fight, I'd rather we surprise the hell out of them and come out swinging. So far, though, they don't seem to want to hurt us. Why would? Could it be that someone or something at that program installation recognized you for what you are? And survive to tell the tale? If they were program, I would have picked up on it. None of them are metahumans, as far as I can tell. Not Black Snake either, too restrained. To be perfectly honest, this whole thing smells... Before John had a chance to finish the thought, a convoy of five black SUVs rounded the corner at the far end of the street, just past where the block for his squat ended. They pulled up to the curb next to where John and Sarah were standing very quickly, then stopped in a cloud of concrete dust. John knew what the license plates would have printed on them before the first SUV had even finished coming around the corner. Government. With a hard blink to bring up his HUD, and then a thought and a few eye movements, John brought his sub-vocal microphone online. Overwatch, Murdoch to Vicky, urgent he said without actually speaking. Got a situation here. 
Want your eyes and ears on it, see how it develops. Might be trouble. There was a moment, probably seeming longer than it actually was. Then a spray of curses that sounded Russian-y. Roger. Eyes and ears live, recording commenced. Sending stealth spy eye for redundancy. Rebroadcasting to CCCP and Echo Bella. Commissar notified. All of the doors of the SUVs opened at just about the same time. Nearly identical-looking men in suits with earpieces connected to radios stepped out of the vehicles and took up positions around the street. Some were facing in towards John and Sarah, but most were looking outward, setting up a cordon of sorts. John heard one of the suits speak quietly into a microphone hooked surreptitiously into his jacket sleeve. Area secure. A final person stepped out of the middle SUV. His suit was more expensive than the ones worn by the rest of the men. Dark navy blue, well-tailored with a crisp-collared white shirt and matching tie underneath. A tiny flag pin in the lapel was the crowning irony to the outfit. This guy was the management. John Murdoch, Seraphim, the man said in the officious tone of someone used to having his orders followed. I'm Agent Gibson with the National Security Agency. He reached into his jacket, producing two folded pieces of paper. I've been authorized by Title IV, Section 120 of the National Security Act, pertaining to metahumans on American soil, along with authorization from the Attorney General to take both of you into custody. These are your copies of the warrants and other attendant paperwork. There are some important people that would like to ask you some questions. Sarah's fires flared, and her wings half spread. I do not believe you, she said flatly. Do you think you can hold me if I do not wish to be held? All of the government agents in suits visibly stiffened. The less disciplined among them clearly reached for weapons, only stopping short when Gibson put his hand up. And do not count on my reputation for non-lethality. I do not answer to you. John put his hand over Sarah's. Let's see what they want, darling. Might be interesting. John still wasn't feeling any danger through the battle sense. If he did, he didn't anticipate that he and Sarah would have too many problems freeing themselves. Trying to force their way out of the situation right now, though, could make things messy. And not just for them, for the neighborhood, for the CCCP, and even for Echo. I'll tell you this, though, Agent Gibson. We're tired, hungry, and smell like a couple days' worth of fighting. Try not to piss us off any more than absolutely necessary. Agreed? You do know they are going to use just that against you, right? That was Vicky. They might not actually torture you, yet, but they don't have to give you food, water, or any rest. I think we can accommodate that perfectly well, Mr. Murdoch. The middle vehicle has had alterations made to it so that the seraphim may be comfortable in it. They don't have to keep breathing, either. Don't worry, Vix. I know they're kind and their tricks. We'll be all right. It looks like they came prepared, or their version of it anyways. If they don't take it seriously, we'll get out on our own. Keep your ears open. Good. Also, you can address her as Mrs. Murdoch. If you're going to talk to her, I'd highly suggest I am respectful. Without another word, John and Sarah walked to the middle SUV and got in. 
Sarah first, while John held the door open for her. Let's see what these assholes want, and if it's worth wasting our time. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagger. Narration and production by Veronica Jagger at VoicesByVeronica.com. Quality review and production assistance by Laura Nicole at ResonantMoon.com. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series is released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 4.0 license. For previous episodes, check out secretworldchronicle.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the fantastic people at Bayon Books. Find fellow SWC fans on the Facebook group at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Secret World Chronicle. And as always, thank you for listening.